Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise, gosh, um, for this beautiful time of year um, and, and this uh, beautiful weather um, and just the ways you wonderfully uh, renew your creation. Uh, and I pray, most gracious God, that we might uh, find and take delight in that. Uh, I thank you especially, Lord, for the way in which you give life um, to us through the gift of Jesus, your Son, and the way that you renew and enliven us. Uh, and I pray, most gracious God, that as we encounter your holy word this morning, that ultimately your holy word would indeed encounter us, uh, and that we would be um, shaped and fashioned with the life which comes from you alone, and that in uh, your taking root in our lives, we pray that you would bear fruit in our lives, we ask. We ask all this now in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Well, I thought we'd look today as we've been um, walking through the parables, you know, a, a familiar one, which can be, which can be a thing good and bad. Uh, when you look at a familiar parable, uh, I, I tell you something which I've probably said before, which you probably know. Uh, you know, familiarity is a good thing to a point uh, when it when it comes to scripture. Uh, but there can be the challenge uh, to say, well, you know what, I, I know this one. Um, you know, just you know, that, that, that basic kid's response. You know, I got this. Um, I know this. I know what this says. Um, I can go ahead and, and shift uh, into autopilot. So, and that's, you know, um, there, there it is, that, that, that challenge therein. Uh, and yet at the same time, there, there's a good thing of, um, you know, hearing and encountering these stories again and again, ultimately that they would, uh, begin to take root. Um, perfect timing. Come on in, John. Um, that they would take root um, in, in our hearts and, and begin to work on and begin to work on us as as well. And the one we're going to look at this morning is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I wanted to, to include the whole tenth chapter on a page, but it was it wouldn't fit on one page. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of tell you what the beginning of the tenth chapter is because as we talked about. As, uh, as, as Jesus tells these parables and as Jesus tells these stories, but also as the, the gospel recorders, uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, John, as, as they record these different things, like, uh, like an author, uh, they, and, and for the most part with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they appear uh, in the same place as far as in the timeline of the ministry of Jesus, but sometimes they appear in different places. Uh, perhaps uh, in some of the Gospels, and there's a significance to that. And and when we talk about interpreting, one of the things that we've talked about as well, because, you know, here's the deal, as we, not only this morning, but as we gather, one of the things I'd love for us to do together is, um, you know, basically, this is really profound, um, read Scripture together um, and, and reflect uh, on Scripture together uh, and think about how we go about that in, in ways which are really, pragmatic, but at the same time profound. Uh, pragmatic in the way that we approach it, profound in the way that, that God's Word has the power to work. And again, particularly too, as I mentioned, when you read a passage again and again and again, uh, and you think you got it, you got it, but periodically the Holy Spirit will open something to us, uh, and we'll we'll see something that's been there all along. But we we haven't seen it. But whether we're uh, obtuse or whatever, but it's it's been there all along. We haven't, and sometimes really it's it's not. Well, we are obtuse, but um, sometimes it's not necessarily that as much as you know situations in life. Um, 
Yeah, they, they, they make us more receptive uh, or more amenable, more cognizant of our need, whatever it might be. The situations in life, sometimes we, we hear it because really, quite frankly, uh, we need to hear it. Uh, and, and God graciously and his Holy Spirit opens something to us, either by way of comfort, by way of uh, challenge, by way of all the above. Uh, the Spirit has the ability to open. But we interpret Scripture also with Scripture. That's, so that's why I say the importance of looking at it in context. We, we use Scripture to help interpret. And, and we look at in the 10th chapter what is going on. And uh, again, there wasn't, room on the, there wasn't room on the page. What was going on in the 10th chapter, uh, in case Ed, it's not in a sharing mood. Um, you, can have, you can have your own. Uh, Jesus sends out the 72, uh, if you remember. And he, and he goes... Uh, and, and part of what he is uh, teaching them is uh, is the sufficiency of God. Uh, he's teaching them about the sufficiency of God. Talk about a lesson that we need to hear again and again and again and again. Um, you know, I mean, good grief. In, in my life, God has been just dramatically, radically, unmistakably more than sufficient uh, and has provided for us in, in the ways that we need. And yet, uh, I so easily fall back um, into fear and anxiety um, is is God enough? Is He going to is He going to show up? I can uh, I can go there and fall there again and again and again in my life. So Jesus sends the seventy two out, and He goes out and as He uh, He sends them out two by two, uh, and so we see a, a lot of different things in this that we don't have time to fully unpack. I mean, one that that He sends us. Um, I mean, that's that's one thing, quite frankly, which really is is not a burden it's an honor um that he that he sends us as as messengers that he sends us people to share the good news of of the gospel it's it's an incredible honor um that that he would uh, entrust and invite us into uh, the the kingdom going forth uh, by the way that that we share there's an interesting uh, i read it gosh a long time ago so i don't remember all the ins and outs but uh, Christianity Rediscovered was the name of uh, the book. And it was a guy, he was a, a Catholic clergyman and uh, had been a missionary to Africa for years and years and years to no avail, and particularly to the Maasai people who um, apparently are, are very independent uh, and, and autonomous people. And, and he hadn't had any uh, luck over the years in, in his various uh, missionary and evangelistic work. They were receptive to a point of, you know, whatever, medicine or food or, you know, you can do a little engineering for us, thanks. Um, but that's, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of it. And it was funny because he went to his superiors and one of the things that he asked me said, look, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but can I just go and tell them about Jesus and take nothing with me? Um, that was, he said, look, I, I'm not going to take any medicine, any of this, and that. I just want to go and talk to them about Jesus. And, uh, his superiors were first a little hesitant, like, well, I don't know about this, um, this radical concept, but okay, well, you know, what the heck? Uh, and, and for the first time, he began to have success in his ministry when he just went and told them about Jesus uh, and, and took Jesus to them and told them uh, about, uh, about Jesus. And so the 72 are sent out, and, and basically Jesus says, look, don't take anything extra. Uh, if you're received in that place... Stay, you know, stay where you're offered lodging. Don't look for a better deal. Um, you know, um, I hear they have a king um, over there. So uh, just go ahead and be, be go, go where you go. Those who receive you, um, you know, share the good news. Pray for that particular place. Uh, those who don't receive you, 
shake the dust um, off of uh, off of your feet. Um, and then he goes on right before that. So that's, I mean, again, it says a whole lot more, but they're entrusted in this. Uh, there, there's, there's a disciple. Obviously, there's a discipleship component here. There's a great honor, and people are called into fellowship and relationship with Jesus, and he involves them in the sharing of the good news that the kingdom uh, might go forth. Uh, and, and again, not with any particular extravagance. Take Take the word of God to them. Take uh, the the reconciling work of the gospel to the people. Um, pray pray for them. Share the good news with them. And then they come back. <clears throat> well, and then after that, as he sends them out, he said uh, a word of woe. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, uh, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So he sends them out and says, you know what? Some will receive you, some will reject you. And there's a word of, there's a word of woe spoken, not necessarily a word of final woe, but a, but a word of woe if, if, if people don't turn and receive him. So there's, uh, I'm, I'm sharing that with you because it's setting up here. We see some receive, some reject. Um, there, there's a word uh, of, of blessing to those who receive. There's a word of warning um, to those who will who will not receive Jesus. And Jesus basically says um, what he says elsewhere in John's Gospel. And if, if look, if they receive you, they receive me. If they're rejecting you, they're rejecting me because it's ultimately the message uh, that you are you are messengers, uh, and it's the message that they are rejecting and are rejecting the messenger. And rejecting the message, they're rejecting me. And then the 72 return. And uh, uh, Jesus um, speaks words um, talking about the coming of his kingdom and his rejoicing. Uh, and then these interesting words in 21 there uh, that begin, He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Now, this is my interpretation. You're welcome to. Um, well, you're encouraged to sift it. Um, so you're, you're welcome to take it or leave it. But I don't think it's accidental uh, that the 72 are sent out. Jesus actually, before this, um, speaks a, a somewhat apocalyptic word. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So all this is, is a very significant context because of what we're about to encounter um, with this religious leader who questions Jesus. And Jesus, in response to his challenge and to his questioning, Jesus um, shares this um, parable about what, Gosh, so many things uh, about what discipleship looks like, about what love um, looks like, about what faith um, looks like, about what service and care for others looks like, about what it means um, to look at other people as as a neighbor. Who is our neighbor? There's all these sorts of things um, that are going around here. But it but it seems not insignificant that Jesus um, sees this defeat of Satan that is coming about and this coming forth of the kingdom um, into the world, and he says. Um, he gives thanks to God that he's hidden these from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Well, let me ask you this. We haven't read the parable of the Good Samaritan yet, but uh, I, I trust you've encountered it before. Um, uh, who do you think, uh, who is the wise and learned person in this encounter with Jesus? Yeah, it's it's the it's the teacher it's the teacher of the law that stands up. You know, here's the person that would have been held in esteem, uh, the the lawyer that that stands up, the person that would have been held in esteem. Here's this person that is wise um, and learned here, um, and and you know, if if you remember too in biblical times when Jesus says revealed them to little children. You know, nowadays we, we have a very different view of kids, but in biblical times, you know, it was the kids were seen and not heard, or really, quite frankly, kids were kids until you beat it out of them. Um, and you know, and they and they and they grew up. It wasn't this. Uh, I can remember years ago, a buddy of mine, um, Richard, a uh, friend of mine in Charleston, and we had little boys. They were about the same age. His was just a little older than mine. And one day they were playing. God, he's saying, you know. And he loved his son, Corey. And I, you know, I mean, Jack's all right. I mean, I love Jack, too. But, um, I mean, he loved Corey. Uh, and he said, you know, isn't it just beautiful? I mean, they're just so innocent. Uh, and they're so pure. And I was just like, nah, you know. Mm. I mean, you know. I mean, I love them. They're great. They're a lot of fun. Um, they have some wonderful moments. But this, you know, he had this just, you know, what, you know, they're just pure. You know, they're wonderful and they're innocent. I just thought, yeah, I mean, they're okay. But don't turn your back. Um, you know, they're, uh, this, this whole idea of, you know, children, this you know beautiful, blissful state that we come into the world in, but it gradually gets tainted by the world um, and and our and our interactions. That you know view that sometimes is out there today. That was not a biblical thought. Um, kids were not, you know, it wasn't a compliment to be called childlike. Um, I mean, that was you know. So Jesus, uh, the children. So he says, you know, the fact that he lifts up little children uh, isn't saying because uh, they're wonderful. Um, and, and they're lovely. Um, it's, no, it's just basically they're needy, um, and they're incompetent, and, and they're defendant, and they're dependent. Um, so Jesus is already setting up this contrast here. Um, but these things have been handed over by my Father. Um, and so here we are. So here's the context, and, uh, look, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, I was gonna say if someone would read, but then that kind of, on the recording, it'd be like, womp, womp, womp. So anyway, I was going to take a break, but I'll keep talking for a moment. Let me read this um, for us, beginning at 1025. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, 
And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I have some different things to say, but uh, let me just, I'll just ask you all, any, any first reaction to that uh, as, as you hear that, either as we've read it just now or as you've thought about it over the years? What does it say? It's one of those, it's one of those familiar, you know, it's one of those familiar stories. I, th- I think part of the reaction is to say, well, I really hope I'm a Samaritan. You know, I want to be, uh, we, we want to be, uh, we want to be the hero uh, of, of the story here. Well, let me, we'll begin to unpack and I'll throw out some other questions as we go along. But I, I came across, um, James Edwards, uh, I tell you, that's a, that's a name. It, has written some great commentaries and some uh, some great books on different things. But at, at one point in his commentary on Mark's gospel, he was writing about some of the parables. And I thought this was a great description, uh, what we hope to do as we read the parables. And I, I talk about, and it may sound cheesy, but talk about wanting to enter into the story, um, wanting to enter into um, the parable. But he gave the example, uh, which I thought was great, of stained glass windows. Um, and think about when you walk... Uh, around the outside of the oven, how do our stained glass windows look? Meh. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, opaque. I mean, there's nothing, you know, there, there's really no beauty in them when you, you know, when you walk outside. Uh, but now what about when you're inside the church? Uh, when you're inside the church and the light is through, you're like, these, these are gorgeous. Um, these are beautiful. And, and he described that sort of like a, a parable. You know, when, when you get inside it, uh, you, you see the beauty. When you get inside it, you see the, the light shining uh, from the inside and not from the outside. The desire as we read these and reflect on them prayerfully. And, and part of that prayer, asking God to draw us, to actually draw us into it, that that, that light might shine, uh, be refracted, that it might uh, illumine us uh, from the inside as we go as we go inside of it. So we, we, we pray that we'll go inside and out. Give some different commentary here, kind of by way of perhaps some things that might help uh, shed light uh, on what Jesus' hearers might be thinking, what they might be encountering as Jesus. Um, and we hear, first and foremost, uh, and I brought all this up about the beginning of the 10th chapter, because again, by this point, there is a lot of resistance and animosity toward Jesus. And this lawyer... You know, you could interpret any number of ways, uh, but let me say one thing too about lawyer. When it says lawyer here, it's more along the lines of like, say, a seminary professor. Um, a lawyer uh, that they're talking about here is less a quote legal lawyer as an expert in the law, uh, basically an expert in the scriptures and the Torah, um, the, the the Bible for the most part is is they knew it. Um, so this, when it says a lawyer, it talks about a religious expert. Um, and, and, you know, this, uh, it's interpreted, you know, it's, to some degree it's interpreted different ways by different folks, and that's a shocker, isn't it? Um, but, um, but, but chances are, from what we've seen contextually, there, there may be a certain amount of sincere and genuine interest from this person, but there's also, there's a high degree that this person, um, wants to trap Jesus. 
um, whether he's opposed to Jesus um, and wants Jesus to trap himself by asking Jesus this question, basically giving here's an opportunity for heresy, Jesus. Um, what do you you know what do you what do you think? Uh, here's here's a religious question that I'm putting out there for you. Maybe he was sincere. Maybe he is, uh, wants to trap Jesus. You know, quite frankly, maybe he just wants to show off. Um, you know, uh, hey, who's this? Who's this teacher? You know what? Um, you're not from around here. I'm, I'm the expert. Uh, I'm the expert here. Um, I'm, I'm the big shot. Thank you very much. And so he throws out this question to Jesus, attempting to, to trap him. Uh, Jesus, of course, uh, in good rabbinical fashion, responds with a question. Uh, you know, you've heard all the various jokes, you know. Guy asks the rabbi, why do you always answer a question with a question? And he says, what do you mean? Um, you know. <laughs> so Jesus, again, in, in rabbinical fashion, they often, you know, uh, answering one another by way of, of question. And, and to some degree here, uh, in some of the various commentary and the different things uh, I've, I've read and listened to on this, um, uh, Tim Keller, uh, on this particular passage, um, he says this, which I think is true. He says, you know, Jesus is setting a trap here, but when Jesus sets a trap, it's a trap of love. Uh, Jesus sets traps for us um, in our life, but un- unlike some of the other traps that other people set for us in our lives, it's basically it's it's an educational trap. Uh, it's it's a trap. Uh, it's a trap of love. It's a trap desired, designed to uh, enlighten and to lead us to life. Um, so if if it, if there is a challenge in the trap, it's ultimately um, to free us, uh, it just sort of like teachers or professors perhaps would ask you different questions, and you would you know interact in such a way, and they would basically lead you down your trail of thought till you had this revelation. Like, wait a minute, I see what you're saying. Um, I now see that's wrong in a way that I wouldn't have if you had just said that's wrong. Um, but by helping lead me down, uh, you've sort of led me into my own trap. And I, all right, I get it now. I, I see in a way that I wouldn't have seen before. So Jesus. Actually, uh, we'll turn the tables. But this man asked Jesus uh, this question, teacher. And of course, we, particularly with our reformed ears, but I, I, it's not just our uh, it's not just our eyes of Jesus are reading this into the scriptures here. He asked, "What shall I do to inherit eternal life?" Uh, and you know, there's a there's a certain flag um, for us there to hear. And his desire is, "What what must I what must I do?" Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't unique in this. I mean, that would be for the various religious leaders and the people today. Well, heck, even for you and for me. You know, Lord, what do I need to do? Um, what what do I need to do? I uh, was meeting with a person not too long ago, and this is hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? Lovely person. I mean, she's a lovely lady. Well, she's um, Given this cancer diagnosis, and you know, basically, you know, the doctor said, "Yeah, you got about six months." You know, in all likelihood, you have about six months. Can you imagine? Um, I, you know, going to bed, I'm brushing my teeth, and I'm thinking, "It's tonight, the night." Uh, you're, you know, you're going to your calendar and you're marking off your days. Well, I've got 27 left. Um, it's hard to imagine, but a, a wonderful, faithful person. But well, one of her questions was, "Is there something more I should be doing?" Um, and you know, she loves the Lord, believes in Him, but it's kind of I mean, I'd be, would we not all be asking that same question? Is there something, and, and granted, maybe it won't be six months. And we talked about that as well. You know, maybe it'll be, who knows? I mean, you know, I can remember wonderfully my grandmother, dad's mom was a, she was a hoot. Um, and I remember one time, she was probably about 90 at the time. 
and she, went, she had a leaky heart valve, went to see the doctor, and the doctor said, Mrs. Smalley, if you, know, if you don't have surgery, uh, you're going to die. Uh, she said, she said, you're not God. You don't know when I'm going to die. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was her response. She lived a number of years after that. It was kind of one of those, yeah, that was kind of, that was her personality. Like, you don't know when I'm going to die. Um, <laughs> kind of not dismissing. She was, uh, completely unrelated, but just, just so funny. She, at one point, she had, um, he the doctor would scrub whatever, you know, her, whatever, her mother's little helpers, um, and that she would have, you know, in the evening and, um, she ran out of them. She told the doctor she'd run out and she needed some more. She said, and he said, you know, Mrs. Small, I think you've become addicted to these. And she said, I am not addicted. She said, you prescribe these for me. I'm not addicted. My system is addicted. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's maybe kind of literally, uh, kind of literally true there. Um, you know, I'm not addicted. My system is addicted. Um, but anyway, uh, I digress, shockingly. Um, uh, but so, you know, he's interested, what shall I do? And, and, and actually, in the original language in the Greek, um, it, he's talking about a, a solitary action. What, what's the one thing I, I have to do? You know, basically, he wants, surprisingly, like humanity, he wants a list. And actually, and actually it would be great if it's a one, if the, if the list has one thing on it. What's the thing I have to do? You know, there's all these different things, but what's the one thing um, that I have to do? And, and Jesus, again, he's starting to set this good trap. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And of course, I, I can't, I, sh- I can't remember, you know, the, well, one, the law is basically was, was the Torah, right? The first five books of the Bible. So, you know, how do you read it? You know, how do you read it? And there was all sorts of uh, laws which have been established. So he asked this question. So the question with the question, and of course, the man responds, with a good response, Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.8, uh, basically, basically a conflation of those two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor um, as yourself. And Jesus says, you know what? That's a great answer. Um, that's, that's a great answer. But then listen, um, Jesus sets the trap. And here's the beginning of the crisis here. Uh, and he says, you've answered correctly. Do this uh, and you will live. Uh, and, and again, it's, you know, it's so... So subtle, but think about it. You know, the guy, hey, great answer. Just go ahead and do this, um, and, and you'll live. And I would think even for this man, I mean, think about it. How, how are you doing with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor um, as, as yourself? Uh, go ahead, yeah, well, that's, that's a great answer. Just do that, and you're good. Um, hopefully this man began to have a certain feeling of crisis um, at, at this point, thinking, you know what, that's a, that's a tall, um, that's a tall order. Um, as, as the disciples would later say to Jesus, who can be saved? Um, uh, when looking at that, just do that and you're good. Um, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, you know, again, there is a, you know, it's, it's funny the, you know, the, the maneuvering here. Okay. But, but who is my neighbor? Uh, and that's the next big question. All right. So you set this. Uh, but, but now who is my, who is my neighbor? Um, and as you might imagine, um, the, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament, um, there there is you know that the God of Grace didn't suddenly show up in the New Testament. There's there's a tremendous amount of graciousness uh, in the Old Testament. There's obviously the light of God and the grace of God and the character of God is wonderfully revealed in the Old Testament. Again, He doesn't suddenly show up. Ah, I've been on vacation uh, until Matthew. Um, no, He's 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 there. Um, throughout, and among the things for the people of that time was a concern, and, and in their, 
in their scriptures uh, the necessity and the importance of the concern for the stranger um, and for the sojourner, those who basically were passing through the recognition of their need and their dependence, that they were not at home. They they were dependent upon the hospitality of the people of Israel. And, and the reminder given to those people, like, remember, you were once sojourners. Remember, you were people without a land. Remember, you know, basically like, you know, you tell your kids, you know, don't forget. Um, don't forget you, you needed help at one time. When other people come along, don't be hesitant to help them. You know, you've been in the same situation um, yourself. And here's, that's actually going to be a big thing here because the people of Israel were basically, look, you're, you're in that place back in the day, so you need to have concern, not just for the Israelites, but also for the sojourners, um, for those who are living uh, among you. But basically, this guy's wanting to tweak and to fine tune and to split hairs. Well, who's really my neighbor? Well, is it just, it's just the Israelites. Basically implied, it's just the Israelites, right? And not the Gentiles. Uh, it's just the insiders, right? Um, but not the outsiders. Those are the people who are my neighbors, just like we do today. I mean, we love to sort of decide sort of who's in, um, who's in, uh, and, and who's out. But here's the other thing that we're going to see with this whole parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, most of us, and this is true of, 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 of Christians, um, most of us want to help people that we think need to be helped and deserve to be helped, right? Um, you know, we like to think that's not us, but it's like, you know, as long as they haven't been irresponsible, you know, then, then, then we'll help them. As long as they'll, you know, as long as they'll use this well and we can trust them, then, or if they're kind of in a situation like ourselves, well then, you know, I, I remember what it was like. We had a guy, we came out of seminary and, uh, we had one car and we didn't have any money. Uh, we, uh, my, my big salary when I came out was 24,000. Um, that was my, that was my annual salary. And so we were looking for a really sweet ride. Um, with that, and, um, and uh, there was a guy in the congregation, nice guy, he said, ah, I remember what it's like to start. I wrote us a check for $5,000 and said, just, just, just pay me back over time. So for 50 months, we paid him $100 a month. <laughs> for that, you know, that was, a, that was kind of a big deal for, you know, for 50 months, we wrote him that $100 a month. But I mean, you know, and he was a gracious guy. He really was a good guy. But he was like, you know, hey, I remember what it's like to start off, you know, and so let me, and so let me help you. One of the things we're going to see, if we if we only help people we think who deserve help uh, and who are responsible, who's going to be helped? And and if you think about the way that God could look upon you and me, let me ask you: Have we been good stewards? I mean, honestly, have we been good stewards of His graciousness? Um, have we been good stewards of His mercy? And the answer is no. Um, it's the 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 mercy and the graciousness that we receive is not merited. Um, for, for goodness sakes. He, he gives, really quite frankly, God's pretty irresponsible. Um, God's pretty irresponsible with His grace. Um, he, he gives it to very recalcitrant people. Um, he gives it to people that really don't have a good track record. Uh, and yet, this is, you know, He, he showers grace and mercy on people, um, who really don't, uh, have a good, uh, <laughs> we, we don't deserve it. So here's the beginning of the crisis. Just go ahead and do this and you'll live. And He tells this story, of course, uh, about uh, the man who is um, robbed and left for dead. And this um, road would be very familiar to the people. Uh, it runs from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem is 2,600 feet above sea level. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level, and they're about 18 miles apart. So you can imagine it's a precipitous drop uh, from one um, to the other, uh, it's a, apparently a 3,400 foot 
descent um, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And so as the people are hearing this, you know, some of you could say, well, you know what, it's pretty irresponsible um, traveling on that road by yourself because it was a notorious road. There are lots of caves and narrow bends and wild places. It was a great place to be jumped. Uh, and um, people were regularly. So in some degree, it could be easy to say, you know what, you know, the guy never should have been there in the first place. Um, he, you know, he, he got what he deserved. Um, any sensible person wouldn't have done that. You know, I feel bad for him, but, um, you know, he shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't have been there in the, in the first place. And of course, Jesus tells the story, the priest and the Levite, you know, as the people are here, they think, ah, well, the priest is going to help them. Um, uh, cause I mean, everybody knows priests are awesome. Um, so the priest is going to help him, right? Nope. The, the, the priest, uh, the priest passes by. Um, he sees him. We were told, you know, he, he sees him. Uh, he sees him, but he goes around. Likewise, the Levite, uh, a respectable religious person, that particular tribe involved in sort of caring for uh, the temple and uh, the worship and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Another respectable person. Well, here's, here's part of the deal. Let's be honest. Um, to some degree, the priest and the Levite are being smart. I mean, you know, practically speaking, they're being smart. Um, this could be a trap. Um, you know, this this could easily this is a this is an infamous road. This is a trap. I mean, what am I going to be able to do if I go over there? Um, you know, this might be a trap, and they jump me, uh, and they and they rob, uh, and they and they kill me. And or, you know, what can I do? Uh, what can I do in the middle in the midst of 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 all of this? I mean, I'm really sorry, but this is too much. This is too much for me. So to some degree, the priest and Levite are really being sensible. They're being sensible people uh, in this particular respect. Uh, and Jesus is telling the story. Uh, and then, of course, here comes the Samaritan. Absolutely. And that's a great, that's a great point, Rod, because, you know, one of the things, and, and we see this encountered again and again and again, um, they're concerned with the letter of the law more than the spirit of the law. And it would have made them unclean. I can remember being a hospital chaplain one time, um, and a, a person had died, and the family came in. The family was Jewish, and the man was like, "Well, I can't go in um, where the body is because I'm a Levite." Well, yeah, this is when was this? 1996. So I'm thinking, all right, are you legit about that? Um, but anyway, he was kind of very adamant, um, and I'm thinking to myself, "Are you selectively religious? Um, you know, you're suddenly very Levite." But yeah, I mean, the Levites and the priests. And particularly, too, you know, some have speculated the priest may have been coming up to the temple um, at the time. The priests that performed the various religious ceremonies in the temple would often be, would not live in Jerusalem. And they would travel to Jerusalem when basically when they're, it's like when my number comes up to preach, you know, that's the only time I come. Um, so, I'd, you know, come in on that particular day. But he may have been coming up and had he touched the body, yeah, he would have been unclean. He wouldn't have been able to go and perform his duties in the temple. So in some ways... They're being responsible. I mean, they're being responsible people um, in, in this. And, of course, the Samaritan comes along. And if y'all remember, the Jews and the Samaritans, I mean, they didn't just, they hated. I mean, they really hated one another. You know, uh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a Samaritan, um, the Jews would pray. The, the Samaritans pray, I thank you that I'm not a, a, a Jew. And it came back from the division of the kingdom. And, and the Samaritans worshipped uh, at Mount Gerizim. The, Drew, the Jews at Mount Zion, they, they hated one another. They, they loved to see bad things fall upon one another. In typical Jesus parabolic fashion, he throws a big old curveball uh, in here. You know, who's going to be the hero of the story? It's going to be, it's going to be the hated Samaritan. And, and this is a point of interpretation. You can agree or disagree, but 
as Jesus is telling this to this respectable Jew, this uh, lawyer, this teacher of of the law, um, we can spe- we can speculate here that, and I, and I think it's uh, you know very entirely possible um, that who's the man that's that's beaten and robbed and left for dead? It's a Jew, uh, and so who's who is who's in need of mercy here? Who's basically in need of salvation and rescue here? Well, it's the Jew. Uh, it's it's the Jew who is needy. It's the Jew who is down. So, in that case, if a Samaritan comes along, what do you think? Is it better to show mercy, um, or is it better to show vengeance? Uh, and suddenly the Lord is like, well, you know, I guess mercy's kind of good if 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 we're the one in need, if we're the one beaten uh, and left for dead um, on the road, I guess that I think mercy is rather important. Let me say a couple of things because we're running out of time here um, and there's so much more uh, that can be uh, that can be shared here, but let, I'll, I'll say a couple of things um, that, I, that I think are, are particularly pointed out to us here about uh, what Jesus is sharing with the lawyer and showing the lawyer and and his hearers and and what um, he is saying to you and to me as well because here's here's one of the challenges of our Christian life isn't it is we 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 realize and we talk about rightly that our hope and that our assurance and our salvation are not by our works and and we and again that, that's that's a that's that's not our formulation that we we draw that from the gospel um, based and that and that's and, and Jesus is putting this lawyer in this predicament to say you know what if you're trying to earn if you're trying to justify yourself you're going to be unsuccessful you're not going to be able to justify yourself I'm actually the one who's coming to the world to justify you I'm the one who's coming to the world to accomplish what you cannot accomplish look to me um, and be saved and so we hear that salvation is a gift from God it's not accomplished by works uh, it's a gift of grace and yet we also see repeatedly Jesus calling us to very not only real concern for other people but 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 actually acting upon that um, in in ways which are concrete um, caring for people's needs not just the people who are like us but the people who are outsiders the people who maybe are are enemies to some degree the people who may not be appreciative uh, or may not be responsible, or may not be deserving. Uh, he, he also calls us to a very genuine, real love and concern, and not just theoretical, but but actually an action, um, concern for others. And, and, and as I say, people begin to be anxious and say, well, isn't that works righteousness? No. Well, it's like um, Jesus talks a lot about fruit. Well, let me ask you this. It's springtime. If you see leaves and fruit um, on a tree or a bush, does... Do those leaves and that fruit, do they give life to the bush? No. They're, they're, they're signs that it, it is alive. Uh, that those leaves and that fruit is a sign that that is, is alive. The absence of it says um, that it's dead. And so when we talk about fruit, when we talk about compassion, when we talk about mercy, those don't bring salvation to us. They're signs and symbols of God beginning to work um, in our lives and to bring forth that fruit um, out of us, so it's a it's a sign of what God has done and is doing. And so uh, I'll say this because I'm out of time. Ah, there's so much more that needs to be said, but part of it, what is being 
shared with us here is that um, following Jesus is costly. Uh, it 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 will involve our being vulnerable. Um, it it uh, you know the 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 Samaritan he you know he puts him on his own animal. He pays his tab. He says you know binds his wounds. He says you know what if he if 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 I owe more I'll pay for it myself. And so one of the things we see is that um, in in following God and being his disciple there's it can be burdensome at times. It can be costly. Um, it can be awkward. Um, it can be um, challenging. It does it does place a demand on us not to be indifferent. Can we solve the problems of the whole world? No. But it also calls us um, to say, you know, we can't just be theoretical and not have it move um, in our in our life as well. But then ultimately, this um, now this is various. You have various interpretations, allegorical and otherwise. But but ultimately. Um, as Jesus tells the story about the man that is um, beaten and and robbed and stripped uh, and left for dead, I mean, where does that thought take you? Uh, I mean, inevitably that takes us to the cross, um, to the one. And it's it's we're not going to be neighbors. We're not going to be gracious by saying you need to do this. Um, you need to do this. This is your responsibility. Now go and do it. That's not gonna. That's not going to cut it. Um, But when we see um, the graciousness of God for us, the radical generosity of God for us, how God miraculously makes us his neighbor, uh, comes and embraces us and draws us to himself and is actually stripped and left uh, on the cross on yours and my behalf, when the reality of how that salvation and that grace and that generosity comes to us, it's the beginning of that that can begin to work on our hearts and our minds in such a way that we might uh, begin to, not with... um, reluctance but with joy uh, begin to do that uh, in our lives and ultimately be free so uh, i'm sorry i've run us uh, up and past the time but let us pray Uh, heavenly father thank you for the gift of your son jesus who was indeed uh, abandoned uh, and brutalized for us and yet lord uh, that is not the final word but the final word is a happy ending uh, of your resurrection and your defeat of the powers of sin and death So fill our hearts and our minds, Lord, with this grace and salvation that come to us by your work, uh, that it might indeed shape our lives, that they may bear fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.